Thanks for listening to this sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. This morning, uh, Dottie Bailey is going to bring our word. Uh, You might know Dottie. Uh, She was very active in our church uh, a number of years ago, and then she moved away uh, down to the Brunswick-St. Simons area, Uh, but she is back now, and uh, a few weeks ago, she asked me about taking a lay servant class, and uh, that's something that our conference does to help people to, to grow into lay ministry, and so she has taken both the basic and the advanced lay servant class now, and uh, she just felt like she had a word from the Lord that she wanted to share. And so I'm very excited for Dottie to come. She's got a wonderful testimony. She's got a wonderful word. And so uh, I encourage you to be encouraged by what Dottie has to say to us this morning. So come on, Dottie. Did you ever expect to see me up here again? I didn't. I can tell you there's obviously one that knew I would be up here again. And it's only by his amazing grace that I am. Can you hear me? Okay. Wednesday morning, I woke up without a voice. Thursday morning, I was at the urgent treatment center. And uh, it's just been in the last 48 hours, Matt, right, that my voice has started coming back. And we were determined that this was not going to be ruined today. If you'll turn to Galatians 5.22, and it's in your bulletin. Our scripture for today is, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The word of God for the people of God. Let's go to our Father in prayer, please. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity for bringing us together once again to fellowship and worship of you. I ask, Lord, as we go through our walk down memory lane, you open our hearts and minds and bring back the beauty of life's change by the sharing of the fruit of the Spirit that dwells in this church of yours. I ask, Father, as we move through this service, the arms be outstretched to those whose lives can be changed mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually by the love that flows from you through those sitting in your church. Let your Spirit speak through me, Lord, that your words be heard. Let this be a testimony of your faith and all that sits in this congregation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Oh, in the year 2000, my children, Derek and I, and Derek and Cameron, I shouldn't leave him out, should I? Derek, Cameron, and I began attending this church. It was so difficult walking through those doors because I had just left Asbury Theological Seminary after having to quit due to my mental illness. 
A few years before that, my husband, who was a pastor, had divorced me for the same reason. When we came here, I had lost everything, my home, my car, my business, and I had almost lost my children to defects. This had been the worst episode of bipolar that I had encountered since 1989 when I was first diagnosed. We were homeless, without an income, without anything except the mercy and kindness of others. One of my sisters purchased a used mobile home for us to live in and gave us a car we could use. Some of you may remember <clears throat> that I didn't speak very much. I had gone from a manic high to a deep depression. I'd been told by a psychiatrist that I'd never work again. And you see, I was the first in four generations to even graduate from high school. I allowed my education status to be tied directly into my self-esteem. My calling to follow in Christ's footsteps and minister to others through his word as an evangelist was something I'd felt since I was a teenager. And all of a sudden, it had all been snatched away. I know this story by heart. Please forgive me as I need to read this. I did, some, I did know some of you from high school. I, that was a very long time ago. Where's Becky? Becky, you better be watching. I'll never forget you telling Derek I had been the sweetest girl in high school. I needed my son to hear that. Because there were times I'm sure he didn't think I was the sweetest mother. If Lisa remembers, she can attest to that when I pulled Derek off the cross-country team. Do you remember? She told me that Derek's a good kid. You're being too hard on him. And Derek agreed with her. And so did I. And he got to stay on the team. It wasn't long after we arrived that Cameron decided to move back to Alabama with his father. When the summers came around for visitation, our Miss Pat would make sure that an airplane ticket was purchased for Cameron to come spend summers with us. She had a friend in Atlanta meet Cam at the airport, walk him to his next plane, and see that he boarded. Going back, she did the same thing. Miss Pat did this almost every summer. Once Cameron was here, it never failed that Brother Bob would hand me an envelope going out the front door with money in it so I could have whatever I needed for the boys during those months. Without an income to buy anything was difficult. However, Brother Bob would show up at my door with bags of food. Those of you who bought us groceries, I'll never know. Buffer, be grateful. I remember getting a call one night from the bowler ladies. I guess I can't call you the bowler girls anymore. I was invited over to go through all the things that they were putting in their yard sale the next day. I went home with a carload of needed items. I want you to know I slept on the sheets I got that night for years. 
I reminded, I reminded Bendy the other night about the first time I actually decided to eat at one of the church dinners. I had always been embarrassed because of my tremors, which if you remember, were really bad at that time. Bendy and I were fixing our plates, and I shared I was worried about spilling my food. And she told me she shook too, and we'd just shake together. Bendy, are we on the team this morning? <laughs> Bendy, that helped me immensely over the years, as the shaking hasn't gone away, but my attitude toward them has. Miss Betty helped me get my voice back. I was taking a Christian discipleship class here at the time. I remember that some were having a difficult time figuring out how to witness to others. And I called Miss Betty and told her, can I help out in this area? Can I please speak in your Sunday school class? Believe me, this was after a lot of prayer and begging Christ to let me out of this little mission of his. She said she never turned over her class to anyone, but she felt I needed it more than you guys did. I spoke that Sunday morning, and she had me stand at the door of the classroom. And so many of you sitting here now walked through that door telling me you didn't even know I could talk. Can you imagine that now after all these years? I can talk. <clears throat> That led me to being asked to do the United Methodist Sur Women's Service that December. Remember the precious walk, Walt and Jackie Brinson? They took me under their wings and were dear friends of mine. They paid for me to take the lay speaker course. I followed through with that for several years when I did leave here at Taylor's United Methodist Church in Brunswick. And now, as Matt said, I am finished with the basic and advanced course, lay servant course. And I'm hoping to go for the third course to be certified next year. Donna, you set a good example for my boys. And you even held me accountable on occasion. So grateful for your kindness in doing that. I know I brought a clean up. Lynn Jeffers gave Derek his first job. After he stopped working for Lynn, Mark gave him a job. In 2002, my sister was in a wreck in the car she had loaned us. Mark, you've been over backwards to help me get a car that was within my budget. By this time, I was on full disability, but my budget wasn't much of a budget. Yet he did the near impossible and succeeded. During Derek's senior year of high school, do you remember Clayton Knight? Mr. Clayton wanted to know what the plans Derek had for graduation. A college wasn't financially possible for us. And Clayton encouraged him to go into the Air National Guard. That very week, Derek followed through on that suggestion. In February, he'll retire after 20 years with the 165th. And during that time, 
he became a federal employee. Now, I'm not allowed to tell you what he does, and that just, you know, oh, Derek, I want to tell him, but he said I can't. But I can say he has a 14-year-old son and a 4-year-old daughter and owns a home in Guyton. Cameron, when he turned 16, he came to live with me for good. He still lives in Brunswick, where he manages an ATM company and hopes to buy it upon the retirement of his boss. He's currently actually looking for a home here so he could live closer to Derek and I. He's told me the closest I'll get to a grandchild with him is a cat or a dog. Hopefully a dog. <laughs> After 18 years of not working, I went back to work full time. I've worked in the mental health field for four years. Three of those with an organization that will only hire you if you have a mental health diagnosis, which is almost unheard of in this world full of stigma. I'm contracted out to Georgia Regional Hospital, where I work as a mentor preparing my peers to reenter society. And I have to say, and I hope it doesn't embarrass you, but the liaison between my organization and Georgia Regional is here with me today. Thank you, Christy. I volunteered with an organization called NAMI National Alliance on Mental Illness for 12 years. And as I grew to be mentally healthier, I was led in the direction of trained law enforcement on what it's like to have a mental illness. It was at the first training that a friend commented on how inspiring my story was. And with tears pouring down my face, I told her, I had finally realized that I was still following God's call. He had just changed my audience. And I've helped train law enforcement for 10 years now. When I was here 20 years ago, I was ashamed to let you know that I had a mental health diagnosis. Today I stand before you very much changed. The education that I valued compared to the 58 years of life experience I've garnered, it can't compare. I can now say, it's okay, I've been there and survived it. Take my hand. What was meant for bad has definitely been used for good. You loved me and accepted me unconditionally. And today I want you to know that not only do I love you, I love me too. <clears throat> I now live in a very pretty apartment, and the sister who gave me a mobile home lives with me. I own a new car. Mark, don't look at the dinner of the dust. And I'm really sorry, but it's a Toyota. <laughs> I own multiple sets of sheets. I could buy my own groceries and take care of myself. I'm even the CEO of a nonprofit I started five years ago to help those with mental health diagnosis. Yet the greatest blessing to me is every time you ask for the offering, I can now type in there. The fruit of the Spirit is alive and well in the heart of this church. 
as it was 20 years ago. It is now. We were shown love, taught joy, given peace, learned patience, shown immense kindness through you, discovered true goodness, received the Father's faithfulness through you. Was treated with gentleness and taught self-control. You in those few short years we were here did so much and set a path for us. I discovered that you, my friends, don't just have one of these gifts. You have them all. They can't be divided. But oh, how you have multiplied them. My first Sunday back, Miss Pat walked into the sanctuary, and when she saw me, her eyes swam with tears. She came to me with her arms outstretched and gathered me up. After almost 20 years and a lot of gray in my hair, this precious woman knew me on sight. That's the love of the Lord and the fruit of the Spirit. If you look at the insert in your, in your bulletin, we're going to read Matthew 25, 35 through 40. <clears throat> For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Now, after listening to what you did for me and my children, do you recognize that you're doing what God has called you to do as a disciple of this? Through your sharing the fruit of the Spirit, you fed us, you quenched our thirst, took us in, you clothed us. While I was sick, you never turned me away. In fact, you carried me. We are all called to be disciples. You all shine with the love that is the Lord working through you. I don't know who you are, but you have got the most beautiful smile on your face. You did then, and you do now. And I say that you, to you that what you've done for me can be done for those like me. You see, John Wesley believed that it was not enough to have faith or just to believe, but that faith and love should be put into practice in our lives. 
one of the main emphasis of Methodism is grace. By grace, we mean that undeserved, unmerited, and loving action of God. When we talk about sanctifying grace, we're talking about grace that continues to nurture us and increase our knowledge so we can be more fully love God and our neighbor. We are committed to go on to perfection by having a heart habitually filled with the love of God and neighbor and by having the mind of Christ and walking as he walked. Now, Lisa told me just a few weeks ago about Miss Patsy and the homeless man who sits outside Walgreens on Augusta Road. I'm sure many of you have seen him. However, that particular day, the gentleman told Miss Pat he needed shoes. And she wouldn't be satisfied until Lisa took her to get them. She bought him a size 14 and took him right back to him. 20 years later, Miss Pat, you're still following in the footsteps of your Christ. What a remarkable woman setting a remarkable example. I want to tell you a short story about a man named William Cowper who had major mental health episodes to the point of trying to leave this earth of his own accord three different times. Yet God's grace sustained him. Even after <clears throat> finding God, he became depressed for over a year. But he read a book called Out of the Depths by the notorious slave, slave trader John Newton. William Cowper was convinced he wasn't worthy of God's salvation. Yet through his friendship with the slave trader, trader John Newton, who wrote the song you just sang, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. Cowper discovered God's grace and went on to write, There's a fountain filled with blood on page 622 of your hymnal. Neither of these men felt worthy, yet they received Christ's unmerited, undeserved, amazing grace. I said earlier that it's by God's amazing grace that I'm here. On March 11, 2007, while going through yet another failed marriage, I felt life wasn't worth living. I prayed as I made my decision to leave this world behind. After four days in critical ICU in a coma, the doctors told Derek and Cameron to terminate life support, and they refused. And they said within a few hours, I started waking up. Now that's unmerited, undeserved, amazing grace. On September 24th, 2016, I went for a walk on the beach at Jekyll Island. Deciding to rinse off before I got my car, I was caught in a riptide that threw me upside down where I hit the crown of my head. I felt my back break instantly. I knew I didn't have a chance as I couldn't get above the waves or touch the ocean floor. 
and I felt the waves carry me further out. But I prayed, I relaxed, and gave complete control over to the God that governs that majestic ocean. All of a sudden, I popped above the waves and slowly made my way towards shore where others found me literally crawling out of the ocean with a broken back. Unmerited, undeserved, amazing grace. When I decided to move back, I knew this is where I needed to be. It took me a little while to come here. I was waiting on God. But I felt God leading me home to be with you, to encourage you, to remind you of the many things you have to offer our community. There are others like me and my boys who need you. They need someone to love them. They need a Miss Pat. They need Adela, who, though unsure about my getting married, and obviously rightly so, she went to my wedding in support of me. The church is in need of continual reformation and renewal. John Wesley believed that it's not enough to believe or have faith, but that faith and love should be put into practice in our lives. And I can't say that enough. If you pick up and insert again, James in chapter 2, verses 14 through 17 said, What good is it, my brothers? If a man claims to have faith, but has no deeds, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. I've spoken about so many things this morning. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In addition to grace and faith. As you continue to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, let God's sanctifying grace Continue to nurture your faith and increase your knowledge so you can more fully love God and your neighbors. Be committed to having a heart filled with the love of God and of your neighbors here and in this community that needs us so much. And by having the mind of Christ and walking as he walked, do something for me, please. Reach out and pick up a Bible. Just hold it in your hand. Just touch the Bible. You see, over and over from the beginning of time, this book tells miraculous stories of broken, hurt people. It also tells how through Christ they were healed, changed, and redeemed. Jesus picked 12 ordinary, unsuspecting, 
unusual people who went on to do extraordinary things. These 12 disciples multiplied until here you sit, disciples of Christ. Isn't that amazing to think how far those 12 came that were still following in their footsteps? You're called to be his disciples. You've proven yourself worthy of this call. You succeeded in the lives of my children and me. There are so many like us who need you, who yearn for the unconditional love and acceptance of Christ thrown, shown through the hands of his followers, which are you. I challenge you, and I sincerely challenge you, and you'll see me challenge you again. As the faithful I know that you are, to reach out, take someone's hand, and lift them up. There are so many who have been affected by COVID. The number of shut-ins have gone up, along with an increase in depression, anxiety, and other disorders. If at any time in the world this community needed your gifts, it's now. And as we sing our closing hymn, I invite you to the altar to pray. You are a church truly, truly blessed. And yet we still have so much work to do. Every pew in this church should be filled. And I can hardly wait to see the wondrous work he has set out for us next. Thank you this morning for letting me come and share not just my story, but your story. And I pray that you take away from it a feeling of knowing that God works through you, that his Holy Spirit is in you now, and he goes with you out those doors. Because, see, when you go out those doors, you're entering the mission field. Walk as he walked. Talk as he talked. Lead as he led. Help another child. Help another adult. Help another family as you've helped us. <laughs>